So I'm going to ask Rigby and Sean and Chad and Ben to come up and join me on the stage. All right, so we are going to try to use the time efficiently as we can, and, and you really get through a lot of the big questions that people would have regarding what is Advance all about, uh, what has linked us together, those kind of things. And so, Rigby, I'd love for you to start off. We use the word partnership. That's an important word to us. What, what does that mean to us? I'm a really quick learner. It's about running to the mess. Except, moment of vulnerability, about 12, 13 years back, our church is doing this, and we are really excited about what God's doing, and somebody spoke to me and said, uh, sort of suggested we were in a dangerous place, and uh, internally I'm thinking, I don't feel any danger, we're, we're having an absolute blast, it's a field of dreams. And then they said, uh, you could continue as you are in splendid isolation, or you can open up some other means of grace. So as Ben was speaking about running to the mess, I began to just put a new angle on that, and in hindsight, I remembered that, that what happens if I was the mess? What happens if I'm leading a church and I'm the ceiling to the diverse grace of God that comes through Ephesians 4 gifts? What if, what if I'm trying to be all of it to the community that I'm in? When I began to see that, I thought, this is very dangerous, and we began to hit the deck in humility and say, God, we're not as good as we think. Won't you really help us, help me to see invite others to run to our mess and, and help me to make the adjustments and stop being so prideful and self-centered. So I think that's the first thing I, I wanted to say. The second thing is, 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 is I just love this whole concept of partnership. You need, you need to know Brian and Rachel and Sue and I in this conference and the other guys on the stage here, we are deepening our friendships here. We are not like doing some technical, overdeveloped, mechanical thing. We were having an absolute blast. It's so beautiful. And we just love uh, this teaming, the sense of hearts being knit together. So partnership for us is, first of all, it's about relationships. And it's about, uh, uh, the, it's a magnetic field. I used that last night. I'm getting caught up in a magnetic field of, of uh, where we can let our God down and be absolutely real. Uh, but you'll also see, and I don't know if you want me to heat this up, is that partnership is so described right through the New Testament. There are no isolated expressions of local church anywhere in the New Testament. The Bible uses things like spheres and regions, but they function like ecosystems of life where we, 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 we feed off each other for the good of the gospel and the mission of Jesus. And the constant is the mission of Jesus moving forward through churches being strengthened and planted in an ongoing way. And what happens, the relationships on that journey never become an end in themselves. They become this beautiful uh, gift that we get to do life and ministry together in a life-giving way. I've got so much more to say, but maybe just by introduction, that's my, that's my first stab. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what it is. <laughs> what do we say? 
It's lit. It was literally on the registration. It did not say advance central conference. I get what I, I get you know what we're when doing, we're, but we're spearheading something. There's so many resistors <laughs> to adopting something that's new and yeah. right and appropriate. Sometimes the <laughs> obvious answer is the right answer. <laughs> it's a if party. you have a conference with your family over yeah. dinner, it's then, a party. then we'll keep it going. All right. Um, Sean. What's the value of partnership to you? Why are you in this thing? Yeah, man, I remember, I think it was 2016, we went to the UK. It had been a super difficult year for Becky and I. And we had been to other conferences and would walk away not encouraged, but actually discouraged and feeling like, we just, we suck. We're just, we're, we're just awful at everything because it, it was so much comparison and people get up and say, you know, how many, and the constant question is, how many of you guys running in church? And I was so tired of that. Yeah. I mean, numbers are important, but, but as Ben said, are you okay when it's going this way? And so Becky and I were there and and they started bringing up people, just like we did today, planting churches. And this whole room started crying out to God for this, this couple that was going for it, and they had nothing. And they celebrated them like, these are champions. And I just go, we're both going, is this real? Are they faking it? You know? And... That became really the, the catalyst for us who said, thank God, for the, thank God for being able to honor the body of Christ, to engage with many and learn from many people, but partner with a few. And that's what we decided. These are the people that I want to partner with. And it began with us four right here. So we want to partner together. Thank God for the body of Christ. Yeah. It's awesome. But partnership is precious. Yeah. And I wanted to partner with people who were gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, disciple-making, mission-focused. And I couldn't see that everywhere. Again, I'm not throwing stones. Yeah. But, but the benefit of that, of being able to, and, and here's what I'll say as well, is that, and it's been said, Nobody, no church is good at everything. So we've got some stuff. We've got some stuff we're not as good at. Like my brother Ben is a great evangelist. And this church is built on evangelism. So, you know, it's like earlier this year I said, bro, you got to come and help us. Teaching our church, maybe some of what you do will just get on us. <laughs> Because we need to be better at evangelism. And that's the benefit of partnership is somebody coming in is strong in something that we're not. Chad is so good just in spirit empowerment, listening to the Holy Spirit. So it, it stirs me up and says, I want to be better. I'm better because of these guys. I'm better because Brian's in my life. So that's a real value. We have a, a robust definition of partnership. 
we could say partnership, um, and that'll mean different things to different people, but we've actually done the work to, to actually articulate what that is, and it's four things. And so um, one is genuine relationship, and then secondly, we come together common values or distinctives. And then third is we're on mission together. And then fourth is we recognize gifting. Um, there's, there's gift recognition. And so some of that gift recognition, Sean was just talking about, dude, you're good at that, you're good at that, and that helps us. Um, w w can we talk about some of these things? Rigby, do you want to dive in? Like, what does it mean to have begin with genuine relationship that works towards mission? So I guess that picture of Jesus ascending up and then giving himself back to the church in all of those ways of, uh, you know, as, as an apostolic grace on the church, prophetic grace on the church, uh, evangelistic grace on the church, and then this pastor-teacher grace. We need all of that. And there's no pecking order there. The way I understand, uh, uh, you know, the small a apostolic ministry is that it's catalytic. God has put into the church first the apostle, not first in rank, not first in value, first in servanthood, first in catalyzing the other gifts, because if the other gifts are not catalyzed, the mission of God is stunted. We don't move forward because the church needs more than a great catalyst. The church needs to come under uh, those empowering gifts, those servant-hearted gifts. So I love the way Paul just models and Barnabas, they just model. It's a servanthood people. It's not some big hierarchical head office thing, uh, uh, but it's recognizing that there are guys who've got this apostolic grace to, to help kickstart and to release uh, uh, other gifts. And uh, uh, I don't know if, if, I, if there's anything more you want me to say, but I'm wondering yeah, so just the headlines. Yeah. Just, just so you're referencing that. Ephesians 4 yeah. in the, yeah. the five giftings, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. Yeah. So you went there. So maybe just expound a little bit. Uh, how does that benefit advanced movement, these, these five giftings? Yeah. So the playing field is not the, the movement. The playing field is the local churches that the movement stirs. The the, the movement is a partnership, which can include these gifts, but it can also ch include church-to-church -church partnerships. We want that to be something that is really, really real. Uh, but I think practically, I think the way it works out is uh, in the churches we're a part of, we look and we, we, we come before the Lord in prayer and we say, what are our deficits in the coming season? And uh, uh, you know, we, we preach through the Scripture. We've got great gifts in our midst, but we're learning more and more to recognize that, uh, that we're better together, not just internally, but also externally. So as I'm sitting here and you're saying, this guy's got an evangelistic gift, I'm thinking, how do we get him to South Africa? And I'm thinking, and... Uh, <laughs> but as... As they say in the classics, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> no, but I, I listened to his uh, first time I've seen Ben minister and preaching, and I'm thinking, he's preaching to us in the room, but I think every jolly unsaved person I know I would want to listen to this guy. And he's just, he's got grace on his life. So the way it benefits the church is conferences like this, you get to see 
and experience different weightings of different gifts. W E I G H T, not W A I T. Yeah, we want to just wait and wait for the weightings of gifts. It's not value, it's maturity, it's richness, it's contextualization. I'm thinking that'll fit. We just want to plug and play this guy in, uh, in our context because I think it'll be incredibly life giving. So we do that as a church. We sit and we say, okay, what are the gifts? And I've just been. Uh, exposed to uh, Common Ground in Cape Town has sat down and they have worked out who are the gifts in the next year that we really do want to give permission to move toward our mess, which isn't always mess. It can also be deficit. It can just be because we are not all that we are called to be. And those gifts are given in the local church and in movements and in regions. Those gifts are given, what does Paul say, to Equip the saints for works of service. For works of service. In other words, they're not there to take up pulpit time. They're there when they do come to minister. The end result of Ephesians 4 ministry is multiplication of ministry and the mission of Jesus being advanced in multiple frontiers. So, uh, But Paul's language is the language that gets to me. He says in Philippians 2.17, even now my life is being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of the service of the saints. So note to self, Rigby Wallace says, Wallace, go and pour it out. Go and pour it out on the sacrifice of the service of the saints. In other words, translocal Ephesians 4 ministry is there to be poured out on the priesthood of all believers. The real act and the sleeping giant of the church is all those that have been fans of Ephesians 4 ministries instead of being catalyzed by Ephesians 4 ministries to come into their gifting to discover their ministries and to function as that one new man in Christ in their respective communities. Did I, did I speak too you're long? Doing, you're doing great, buddy. Okay. <laughs> hey, Chad, why is this par- partnership so essential for you and your church? Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, as I've alluded to, so, I mean, obviously I think it's biblical, but it's infinitely helpful and practical. I mean, yeah, none of us can flourish alone. Um, and then, like, I've seen over time the, the shape of Fellowship Jonesboro begin to take on more of the flavors when these guys come in to speak, and, and it helps to address those kinds of issues that are at work. And, yeah, there's this alignment that happens even in these contexts where we all come together, and it is just like that launching pad that, that Carrie was talking about where we're launched out into God's mission. We are absolutely confident that every single person in this room has gifts and good works that God's prepared yeah. in advance. Advance. And the more that we stir the pot, like the more that you can be catalyzed to do that. So it's been, first of all, it was very selfish, but now it's just like, man, I, we couldn't live without it. Ben, you talked about being part of other networks and not to be disparaging. We, that's not our goal at all, but you found something that you didn't find somewhere else. What is that? Yeah. So about the other network, like I really feel like God uh, put us in the, in that network for a reason. Like his purposes were all over that. But sometimes those moments end and there's something new. And, and what we found was um, something new that was needed for us in, the, in that season. And so I think we all got to be willing sometimes to listen to the Lord and let the Lord lead us. Right. I'm very thankful for how God brought me to the first network and what God did in me through that. Um, but also open to sometimes he 
starts a new chapter. And so for, for me personally, um, the old sounds, I don't, I don't want it to sound negative, but the focus in the past was on the lead pastor in this network. And so all of the focus was on strengthening me and my wife, Becky, sometimes my wife, Becky, me, me mainly. And um, that was fantastic, but we needed, I needed help with, um, the church isn't just led by me, it's led by a team of elders. And so we needed our elders to be strengthened, right? And a focus that wasn't just on the lead pastor, but on the elder team and building up and strengthening and encouraging that elder team. And, and I think Advanced does a fantastic job of that. Yeah. Not just focusing on the lead guy, but the elder team that is leading the church together. And so that was uh, probably number one for me was that. Uh, just practically so you guys know. So I feel like if I wake up tomorrow, I can preach a sermon. Like that's just how I am. It may not be a good sermon. <laughs> but if, if my eyes open tomorrow, I could make something up and preach it <laughs> in the moment. Um, but um, I wasn't really great at leader development. Brian is. Yeah. We need Brian to come in and help us do that. He's a fantastic leader. Spirit-empowered, I've always been a continuationist, but not great at how do I get um, the spirit, spiritual gifts really operating in the life of our local church. This guy right here is fantastic. You know what I mean? So I'm going to lean on him. Hey, come and teach me and teach our church. You know, uh, Sean. <sighs> Everything, number one. <laughs> mm. But man, I needed a model of somebody who's been faithful to Jesus for a season. I won't say you're old, but you have been. <laughs> And you're happy. I want to be Sean Craig when I grow up. Yeah, maybe Rigby. I don't know. One of those two. All right. Does that give you something? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I just want to. Yeah. On that, like um, sharing of gifts, but then also like, I mean, just the the truth is, so many people live in isolation, like without relationship and. We came to a, a point of crisis, like where we literally needed help, and so I, I was a part of other things, and uh, I, I was just putting up my hand and saying, "Hey, I, I I need help. Like, can somebody come around?" And so I think I jumped in the truck and I drove 15 hours to Brian Barr's house, and he opened up his home, and it changed my life. Like, I, I don't think I would be here, and, I, and not because I was important, but because our church needed help in that season. Like. We Fellowship Jonesboro's lampstand wouldn't be around if it weren't for partnership and people. And so just when we were in isolation and alone, like uh, little problems became big problems. And, you know, they're almost invisible, but they're felt by everyone. And then as things become healthy, like, um, yeah, you get your confidence back, like that song says. And that's been our story. So I think it really helps, like, when you need help. Yeah. One more thing on that, just the practical, and y'all, we did get a lot of help, but my 35 birth, 35th birthday, so five years ago, I hit like a bad wall, really bad, and um, Mike Harrison, who's in this room, showed up at my house the next day, for sure, but um, Brian Barr, Donnie Griggs, there was a third person, wasn't there? Was it just you two? Got on a stinking plane, and we're at my house the next day, to hold up my arms, you know? Where do you find that? Yeah, excellent. You want to go for it? We haven't rehearsed this, so 
I didn't even know I was the MC of this. <laughs> it's called a hospital pass. I said, Brian, you're going to lead this. You're the leader. So if any of you want to talk at any point, feel free okay. to do that. I'm just going to do this really quick. Uh, Brian Barr, how much can you bench press? <laughs> like, like full integrity. I don't know if you guys are on Instagram, but um, my boys had man crush uh, on Brian. So go ahead and, and just bring it. Change the it subject. Start, it starts with a three. <laughs> so I, I would love just to bring a, a caution. Uh, nothing negative, but just something to just hold front and center in terms of movement dynamics. I was sharing with a bunch of leaders yesterday that when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, he came riding in on a donkey. The donkey was the vehicle that brings Jesus to cities and towns. And I'd love to caution us from, uh, you know, the one pole of underrating partnership within a movement called Advance and the other pole of doing what the Corinthians did. I'm of this apostle, I'm of this movement, I'm of this, I'm of that. We're not of that. We want to, we want to, we want to in Jesus, uh, say, we're so grateful for the relationships. We're so thankful for Ephesians 4 gifts. But essentially, we want to be a Christocentric movement. We want to be a movement that is multiplying the fame of one person as a movement. Everything else uh, bends toward that. And uh, that's never to minimize the wonderful relationships we have, which is something to celebrate and boast in. This is just like amazing. And then part of keeping our hearts pure, this is the other one that we did with the church partners the other day. Um, like we are, we're not, we're not in a vacuum. We are in the 21st century and we're doing ministry uh, in cities and towns where there are loads of other churches. And we're going to spend all eternity with a, a number of those guys. And so a hard attitude 24-7 is we need to cultivate a hard attitude where we honor all in the body of Christ that we're not always using what we have in our movement as the lens through which we view everybody else. No, our lens is just helping us to be faithful, to bring Jesus to our city and our town. But so we need to honor all. And there may be some things that we're concerned about, but you're not responsible for them. So stop wasting time and avoid uh, getting in the, in the crosshairs of all the, the sort of inter-church, uh, you know, wars and conflicts and all of that. So that's the first thing. Honor all. Secondly, engage with many. Most of us are reading books that were not authored in advance. Let me just explain it. We are already engaging with many. And uh, it's nice to read the books that are consistent with our theological convictions. But every now and then, we need to test our convictions. So as mature leaders, you read a little bit more widely than you land. But uh, the funnel is 24-7, wide funnel, into a smaller, engage with many. That's maybe a 10% factor in our lives. But uh, the, the bulk of our focus and our loyalty and our faithfulness is partner with few. You used that language yesterday. Find that community that, uh, where your values and your theological alignment fits and you're not always swimming through the peanut butter of I wonder if this is what I'm looking for. You want to, if you know what you believe, then it's, uh, you, you know, interrogate our values and our uh, theological frameworks. Go to advance 
movement.com if you're new to this or if you, uh, you know, aspire to lead a church that you're going to team with uh, Ephesians 4 gifts here. You know, get that stuff early. And there's a fantastic booklet that you can download on advancemovement.com. It'll fill in all the kind of gaps. Do our fit. And uh, uh, we're, we're uh, at a heart level. Just It's the power of ordinary, guys. This movement is the power of ordinary. Extraordinary God, very ordinary people. Um, one of the things that I think is such a priority to us is... Um, recognizing that uh, our number one ministry partner is our wife. And uh, it's not about us. It's about us as a team, husband and wife working together. And so can, can we talk about the, the priority and value of, I mean, you talk about Sue so often, Rigby, but uh, just what it means to you to be partner, <laughs> partnering with your wife. I mean, I think all of us would recognize our wives are better than us, <laughs> and we wouldn't be here without our wives. Yeah. yeah. So as quickly as I can, Sue and I have been married for 47 years. Yeah, that's for Sue. She's had to put up with a lot of nonsense. But, but guys, um, we've worked hard in the last, like, 20 to 30 years of our marriage to fix some things that weren't in play in our lives, and one of them was the sense of developing the rhythms for spiritual partnership, spiritual intimacy. And we found that the primary vehicle for, for that was to develop a spiritual discipline of regular prayer walking. And uh, I, I, I need that, and Sue needs that, and our marriage needs it. But more than that, the people we're trying to serve and influence and care for need that. They need to see that we're not all hiding behind one person's gifts in this marriage relationship. We want to bring the best of who we are. And so it's how we plug into Jesus together that becomes more important than what we bring to the pulpit or in the public space. And so the, the, the sort of biblical framework for us is, is we've tracked very strongly with Priscilla and Aquila as a kind of a biblical model of, uh, of how to do that. And you watch them, and we can't go into all the details, but they had that that wonderful sense of surrender to the sovereignty of God. I mean, they lost their home twice, the commentators say, in Rome. First time under Claudius and second time when I think Rome burnt and they wanted somebody to blame. And these guys lost everything, but they had a resilience and a robustness to get on and they meet Paul in Corinth and they become part of his team and they're available. But they had, imagine the conversations on that road when they were going through tough times. There was spiritual intimacy in play there, and we, we learned from them, and uh, we also learned the fact that they were flexible, and they were open to new assignments, and so we've had lots of new assignments, not lots, because we like long-haul faithfulness. We don't like to jump around all over the place. We've done a lot of travel into assignments, short-term assignments, but we've been earthed in various cities for, for decades as we've tried to really be faithful to lampstands and not be restless and put a full stop next to our core and then experience God, turn those into commas as we become more, more flexible. And uh, the one thing I could say, and this is just to land it, is, is uh, or two things I'll say. The, f the, the first is uh, over all the years that we've been leading Common Ground, we've never heard anybody say Rigby's church or Rigby's team. They always talk about Rigby and Sue. Usually Sue and Rigby. And the, and the second thing, 
If you're married, and I just want to be faithful to this, I think it's a deficit. I think it's probably more than a deficit. It could be a crisis. We're trying to get the results right in our church. Plug your marriage into the bigger marriage narrative of Jesus and the church, that intimacy. Feed off that. And the way to do that is learn the 30-day or embrace the 30-day prayer challenge. Where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. It's coming from Sunar. 30 days of 10 minutes a day, go for a prayer walk. On the way out, thank God for all his goodness and the wonderful things. It's a reframing exercise. That's what Thanksgiving is. It's reframing. It's shrinking all the stuff you're complaining about, and it's making much of the good things that we should be celebrating. And on the way back, bring your issues. And they can doesn't have to be big, deep travail and intercession. Paul uh, talks to the Thessalonians. He's always mentioning you. In my prayers. You can mention to the Lord. If you're carrying people in your heart, you don't need to remind God of all the details. He knows. So you can be praying for the church plant in Thailand. You can be praying for uh, Brian and, and as he leads teams into Nepal and India and those sphere. You can be praying for, uh, you know, all kinds of, of situations, people in your church. And we've just loved the fact that uh, that's powered our marriage and, uh, and, uh, and, and it pours grace on every other area in our marriage because we're reading each other's emotional logbook. We get to know each other. We find our lives being aligned to God's will way more easily. We're less resistant, more yielded to the great story of what, of what we're called to. So that's a very little cursory thing. Let me be the panel instructor right now. For a minute. <laughs> so one of, one of the things that I've heard you say pretty early on was if if our marriages are not good, the marriages in the church will not be good. So there's a trickle-down effect of both garbage or blessing. So if if the lead elder and his wife aren't good and the rest of the elders have got this thing about my ministry instead of our ministry, you never hear them talk about their wives only to throw them under the bus or something. That's a signal that something is not right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm praying, we're praying and hopeful that there will be some in this room that will plant churches. But one of the first questions, if I'm a part of it, that I'm going to ask is, how are you two? And where is, where is she in this and where is he in this? But I've heard you say that a lot, so maybe you speak into that for just a minute about how the Ma marriages of the church of the elder team are. So I think um, you have two ends of the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have kind of Pentecostals, Neo-Pentecostals, where the couple is senior pastors of the church. And then the other, other far end of the spectrum uh, would be complementarian, hardcore complementarian, where the man is called to ministry. There's no biblical role for, for pastor's wife. She is just to be a member of the church. And um, we, we don't align with the fact that we think um, uh, eldership is for men and women. We think it's a, a male, God-given role. But when a couple are married, the two become one. And a, a husband cannot carry a call if without the wife also carrying the call. 
So there's an understanding that if I'm called to ministry and I am married, then we are called to ministry. We are a ministry team. The first ministry team that I am part of is me and my wife, Rachel. And this is absolutely essential for the life of the church. Now, if we understand the church to be a family, um, and the church should be modeled after a family, well, then eldership couples that are leading the church should be a representation of a healthy family. And if there's not health in my relationship with Rachel and our family, then we have no business leading a church. How can we represent God's church if we are not taking care of our household? Like my qualification to lead God's church is the fact that we're managing our household well. Not just me, we are managing our household well. And with each eldership couple, this needs to be the dynamic. And if it's not happening in the eldership team, it will not happen to the church. To the level of health within each marriage on the eldership team will determine the health of the local church. We can't do it apart from our wives. And um, so this, this idea, I, I mean, I hate the idea that this is the man's call and the wife is just a member of the church. Uh, to me, that I just want to blow that up. That is so unbiblical. It's so uncompelling. It's so disempowering of women. I mean, we, when we have our elders meetings, we have elders meetings um, with just the guys' prayer meetings, but we also invite the ladies. Why? Because the, the ladies have perspective that us knucklehead guys don't have. And we want to listen to their wisdom, and we would be absolute fools not to listen to them and get their input, their gifting, their perspective, their wisdom. We are modeling a family. The church is not a corporation with a CEO. The church is a family, and that needs to be modeled in the life of our church. And man, tell me one healthy family or one healthy family that, that de- devalues the mom's role in the family. So, way to go. So, um, we have some distinctives. You mentioned them, Sean: gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, a mission, disciple-making. Like, what does this look like? Why are these important to us? Why have we found each other in these connections? I think these are the things the gospel heats up in themselves. Um, I think this thing of being gospel-centered, we, we need to find some, some maybe fresh language for it. Uh, uh, redemption-driven or whatever it is. Sometimes you just use language too often and then it becomes like, yeah, it loses its, its beauty and its wonder. But the gospel is a biblical word. And... Uh, Good news is a wonderful thing to put at the center of everything that we're about. And I, I call gospel-centered, uh, the doctrines of gospel-centeredness, I call it the fountainhead doctrine of the gospel. It's that thing when it's in play, it just splashes the grace of God into all the other things. And I think all the other things that are, are distinctives flow out of that in different ways. Uh, so... Out of the gospel comes this 
this reality we're called to live a certain way but and to and to serve God in a certain way and it has that dual sense of being indwelt by the spirit but also being empowered by the spirit and we want to be a movement that we're not just uh, uh, spirit filled uh, we're not uh, we, we want to be we want to be spirit dependent there's a, there's a there's a tendency I heard years back somebody said are you gift dependent or spirit dependent and uh, spiritual gifts are an evidence of gospel grace uh, and our response to that should be a sense of wow I'm so dependent on the spirit to live this out and how many of you know the mission of the gospel is bigger than anything we've got to fulfill it so these things interconnect you go for gospel centeredness to spirit dependent. Oh God, it's the prayer we pray regularly. Lord, we don't have what it takes. Your strength through our weakness. We keep, we keep doing that stuff. Uh, and then, of course, we're disciple making. We want to multiply an army of people that are following Jesus in a way that we're being transformed into his likeness. Uh, how do you know the best advertisement we've got in our local churches here is not the preacher? The best advertisement we've got for 24-7 influence are the transformed lives of the people that we call to love and serve. And, uh, I mean, you guys have made that so clear just in, in terms of the preaching this morning. Um, and then, of course, leaning into, uh, I've left one out, but the, the whole thing of, of uh, uh, elder-led. Uh, elder-led is, is uh, you know, God has a family and Brian's point just now of uh, you can't raise a family without the voice of fathers and mothers, but the accountable voice within that family is the father, and the healthy voice of a father is he calls forth the mom's voice. And healthy elderships need to call forth the sleeping giant of the other 50% of those who are in our churches, and they need to be empowered to know they are not a wallflower at a male party. They are part of this beautiful household of faith that uh, is, is part of this, uh, this miracle of splashing grace on the world through the gospel. Did I, did I waffle yeah, a bit did there? great. All right, let's do a power round, a little brainstorming session. Um, these distinctives, uh, what, what are some of the markers, evidences of a gospel-centered church? And not long answers, just rattle through, through a list and we could do it together. You're not crazy by... Ray Orland Jr. and Sam Albury, everybody should listen to it, especially because of you can talk about grace, but is there an atmosphere of grace? And, and to me, that, that's what gospel-centered should equal a gospel culture. What is the culture of the church? Is it theology or is it, is it gospel? That's the culture. Yeah, what else? Jesus is the hero. In Jesus, I'm okay. That's what I was going to say. I, I stole your thing. I am okay. I am okay in Jesus. No, I, I really do think like gospel, so there's there's works-driven churches and people, and um, it just doesn't work. It's not it's the wrong motivator. So the gospel should motivate us to change, and it's the only lasting motivator. The good news of, of Jesus, I'm okay in Jesus, motivates me to want to be better, uh, do better, try harder. I just, I can't do it. Yeah, and, and, and absolutely 
like like it protects us. It is the antidote to religion. So I mean, if we're going to see renewal in the Midwest and in the South, like it's going to be a recovery of Jesus and His love for the church, where people are secure. Like you can't take risks for the gospel without a security that comes from knowing that you're in Jesus and He's going to take care of you, that He's for you and not against you. Um, spirit empowered markers of a spirit empowered church. Spirit-dependent church that Rigby has framed. Spirit-dependent. Yeah, no, I I love that distinction because we can, like, you can get, like, crazy on experiences, you know? I mean, we we value experience. Like, if you never taste and see that he's good, I mean, that's that's a problem. But, I mean, to be spirit-empowered means that we acknowledge that the power of the risen Christ dwells within each of us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead wants to um, move us, shape us, change us, launch us out to use our gifts um, in the very real spheres that we all live in. Like, he doesn't want you to have to go through it in your own strength. Um, I don't know if you naturally have courage or you feel like you're an extrovert, but the Spirit kind of levels the playing field. Like, that's what empowers us to do mission is actually the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Uh, yeah, spirit, spirit dependent. I love that. I think it's the sense that if God doesn't show up, let's all go home. That's yeah. true. Amen. Uh, man, let's do something else. Yeah. But, but if the spirit is present, then mighty things can happen. We so need the spirit. So I'm done with let's let's have professionals that do all the work, and let's lift up the, the, the latest mighty guru on, the, on, his, on his podcast, and then he's the man. No, we've got it backwards. We've got to get back to depending on the Spirit. So it's, it's that kind of heart that no matter what we do, are we relying on the Spirit? So that's evidenced, I think, partly in prayer. How much are you praying? Prayer is the number one indicator of how much you are depending on the Holy Spirit. If we're not praying, we're not depending on the Holy Spirit. So that's what I love about this movement. And maybe just to log for the sake of the Bible teachers among us and the guys who, who I'm so grateful for you if you are hungering for a, a deep theological well, uh, start thirsting for a deep uh, and deeper dependency on the Holy Spirit experience. Remember, it's a false dichotomy when you say we're word people or we're spirit people, the book you're reading, and if you're developing a healthy theology, it is going to awaken in you a desire for more of God, more of His power, uh, 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 you know, more of His grace, and uh, it's it's just refuse that false dichotomy is really what I'm wanting to say. All right, last question, last question. I want uh, you guys to Ben, Chad, Sean. Um, we say often, part of our understanding of partnership, we could do more together than we can apart. And when we're looking at this central region, like, and we're looking two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what are the things that God has deposited in our heart? What we're expecting? What, what, what do we have faith for? What do we want to see happen as we continue to partner, not just us, but our churches partnering together? Well, I mean, I have faith for church plants <laughs> um, and, and, and other things too. But so we wouldn't have been able to plant out Seth and Amanda, who are doing a fantastic job, without the partnership of the central churches. 
And so, but I have a heart to see more church planters raised up and all over, you know, the central region, new churches that are gospel-centered and spirit-empowered, missional, disciple-making, elder-led, you know, happen. That'd be number one for me. That's a big thing for me is to see that, uh, but not just leave those churches then out on their own or our churches, but then we strengthen each other and those new churches to health. Does that make sense? So it's not just, hey, we're going to plant churches so that we can wave that flag, but we're going to plant and strengthen those churches to health. Yeah, and there's, I mean, this is a region where there's, yeah, I mean, there's churches that are dying and declining, and there's just, just this renaissance that God wants to bring through the power of the Spirit as he renews his people. And, I mean, our, our real desire is that everyone would walk in the fullness of who God's created them to be in these churches, and that does grow and multiply, and that means church plants also means church replants. Like, there's all kinds of gifts that could be in, like, this whole region, like, is a graveyard, and God wants to bring resurrection power to it. So we believe that. But um, it, it doesn't happen like if we four just have a conversation. Like it happens when everyone in this room begins to have a conversation and say, hey, listen, we're going to align our lives for that. And we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. But it's like, how do we align all of this so that we accomplish what God has for us truly together? Not just leaders, but churches and gifts being shared. Yeah, amen to that. So Many churches that God wants to revive and put these gospel distinctives back into play. So that's a piece of it. On my personal heart, I'd love to see uh, Advance Central begin to pray and see God reach the nations. Uh, to to see languages, language barriers, uh, to see people of color begin to come. And, and I know. God's church is huge, and that's happening in other spheres, but just selfishly, I just like to see it through us, you know, through me. God, here I am, you know. I got one more thing. So I don't have my Bible up here. Last verse in Isaiah chapter 60, what is it? 6022. Somebody read it. Shout it out. Anybody? Beeler? You guys don't got a Bible? Sword drill. <laughs> I'm waiting. The least one shall become a clan. I think that's kind of a prophetic word over the central hub. Even I think we can take something from that. I, at one point, we were the small hub. I don't know if we still are. Are we? I don't know who's defining it. Who knows? Huh? <laughs> but there was like four churches, right? And then yeah. like the West had all these churches, the East had all these churches. But I really, I really feel like he's going to use this hub to plant and strengthen more churches. That's and it's right. like the small clan is going to be the mighty one. Yeah. <laughs> um, even with the interns um, and all y'all that are here and listening, no pressure. But I think God's raising up church administrators, not just pastors and planners. Um, children's workers, you know, pastors, youth pastors, uh, worship leaders, um, everything you can think of. Not just one little, you know, the lead pastor guy. But I think he's starting to do that. And honestly, we're getting the benefit of that through One Life, what God's doing yeah. at One Life. Um, but through all of us, I think he's doing that. I don't know. That's just, that's my little heart. I think that verse is for us. Yeah, awesome. All right, here's what we're going to do. Um, we were talking about partnership, and it's not just partnership here. So let's demonstrate that. Uh, you have to find three to four people that you don't know that are not part of your church. Um, that they can't be part of your church, so you have to go find somebody. 
and uh, just pray, 60-second prayer. God, would you use this partnership, talking about your partnership with those actual people, would you use this partnership to glorify your name and to strengthen your church and for us to continue to advance the gospel. So everybody stand up, find three people.